I haven't done it for a while, and um, maybe it's like uh, riding a bike. Sometimes you never forget, but um, I, I, I was uh, asking God what to speak on this week, today, and what it doesn't happen to me often because I'm a very good sleeper, but I, I woke up, I think it was Tuesday night, at four in the morning, and, you know, maybe God woke me up. I don't want to sound overly spiritual, but I woke up at four, and I said, I said, I need to get something for my message. So I went downstairs and got my Bible, and I did this. Let's see. Huh, let's read this. And there it was, just like that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you what I got that time, but um, I have to give this. A sh- sh- have you ever listened to NPR radio with the, the click and clack, the Tapper Brothers? They're, they're a great show, right? They're, they have a shameless commerce division, and this is shameless of me, and I apologize for it. But this is not a wine, although I've made wine before, but this is a, a, a beverage with the acai berry. Ever hear of the acai berry? Yeah. Very nutritious, blah, blah, blah. Energy drink, Monavi. It's a great stuff. All I'm going to say is that um, next Sunday night at, at August 1st, at Cheshire Main Street Cafe, you could hear all about it. It's healthy. It's a good drink. So there it is. That's all I'm going to say about that. Forgive me for, for being, being at August 1st, next Sunday night at 7 o'clock. Okay. The title of my message today is Making a Name for Yourself. Now, in our culture, a lot of people like to seek 15 minutes of fame to get, get a name for themselves, and it's rather fleeting. Some of us want to be famous, think it's a great thing to be famous, but a lot of people who are famous don't like all the attention that they get. Nonetheless, we, we pursue it sometimes in our culture as something that's, that's good and worth having. But having a name for yourself is a good thing. But sometimes uh, 15 minutes of fame is not de- too desirable. There was a man, in fact, who was arrested for various crimes and was standing before the judge to get his sentencing. And in his own defense, he presented the judge with pictures of himself caught doing good deeds, as if he might have been at the City Fest, there's, here's me, a picture of the City Fest, here's me helping an old lady, here's me helping this man across the street, here's me doing this good deed at the homeless center. And the judge took all these pictures and noticed that every picture of him was like this, with the same clothes on. He was not very good at Photoshop. <laughs> so not only was he a criminal, but he was a liar. And that kind of reputation is named for himself. That's a true story. That, uh, that's how he ended up. So making a name for yourself and looking for that 15 minutes of fame uh, might be an earthly thing, but we might discount it as a spiritual person as something we don't want. But I do believe names are important. And if you read through the Scripture, you'll see how names are important. And making a name for yourself in the spiritual realm is not something to be avoided or eschewed. In fact, having a name that's recognized by God, wouldn't you say, is a good thing? If if you bear your name, and and like God says about Job, I know him. He's recognized by God. And there is a whole realm or a sphere, if you will, a whole other dimension where people's names are known by what they do for God. You may not realize this, but... It's an unseen realm. In Hebrews 12, it says we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. In Ephesians 3.10, it talks about that um, what Christ has done, the administration, to be displayed in the heavenlies. 
I believe we are being watched all the time by people of faith who have gone on seeing, and angels too, and spiritual beings, watching the effect of God, the eternal God in Jesus Christ, what effect He has on the realm of men and women on this earth. And they're looking to watch and see if Christ is indeed effective. If He makes a difference in the lives of men and women. And they watch to see. And even Satan watches and he likes to accuse. Have you seen him? He says this, and look what he's doing. You know all that. But making a name for yourself is a good thing in that realm where your name is recognized as a spiritual person. I hope you want that today. I want to tell you a story about someone who didn't really seek that, but nonetheless got that name. You've probably heard of the Old Testament character named Jerubbaal, right? How many have heard of him? Jerubbaal? What? Very, very popular. What? <laughs> Jerubbaal is in the Old Testament. Who can tell me? You... <laughs> Have you heard of Jerubbaal? You know who Jerubbaal is? Nobody? Nobody knows who Jerubbaal is? You're kidding me. Who does? Tim knows. You, you know what it is? He is Gideon. You've heard of Gideon, right? Very good. Good job. Yeah, I want to tell you the story about Gideon, who was named Jerubbaal. Do you know why he, they changed his name for Jerubbaal? Nobody could remember Gideon, so they'll say, hey, hey, uh, Jerubbaal. Yeah. No. It was for something that he did. Because in this time of, of where he lived, Gideon's uh, was was an Israelite, but they were being oppressed by the Midians, Midianites. But in, if you look to Genesis, I mean Judges six, chapter thirty-two, verse thirty-two. Therefore, on that day, so that day they called Gideon Jerob Baal, saying, "Let Baal contend with him, because he broke down Baal's altar." Very interesting story. What happened? I'll just tell you what happened that led up to this point where his name was changed. God told him, Gideon, to get up and, and bring a bull and a second bull, a seven-year-old bull, up to the hill where the people of Israel, who supposedly worship God, had constructed this altar to Baal and Ashtoreth, who were gods of fertility from the Midianites, local gods. And they actually went up there and worshipped. And Gideon was told by God to go up there and tear down the altar with this bull. And once the bulls helped tear down the altar, he was to offer up and burn, construct an altar out of the Ashtra, burn it, and offer a bull to the Lord. So Gideon did it at night because he was afraid. And he went at night and pulled down this structure with a bull and with ten other men, he, he offered this bull to the Lord. The next morning, there was a funny smell in the air, a strange scent from the sacrifice of the bull. And they went and they noticed that the Astra, which was visible from below, was not seen, and that it was torn down. And they were furious, the townspeople. And they said, what's happened? And the, the word began to come out that Gideon had done this, and they wanted to kill him. They actually sought his life because they wanted to kill him. And his father, Gideon's father, Joash, who owned the property where this te- this, uh, these temples had been, 
these altars had been, said, if he has torn down this altar, then let Baal contend. Why do you want to kill him? If Baal is a god, then he'll defend himself. Don't you love that? If Baal is a god, then he'll contend for him. So they said, uh, let Baal contend with him because he broke down Baal's altar. So his name was changed. And then later in chapter 7, it actually, the text actually says, then Jeroboam, and in parentheses, that is Gideon. And for the remainder of the time, Gideon, he's known mostly as Gideon. But I want to say, the things you do can change your name. Just like Gideon was now known as someone who took a stand against Baal and contended with him. It reminds me a little bit of, of uh, this idea of if Baal is God, let him defend himself. And I have an illustration, and I'm just a little cautious about sharing it, so I think I'll let that illustration go, just to be sensitive. I don't want to offend anyone. It's about, uh, well, if you want to hear the story later, you could ask me. The point is, a name isn't everything. Look what's happened to Tiger Woods, for example. That great name, he's lost $22 million in endorsements. Not that that probably hurts him so much, but the point is, the name that you bring to the table is effective. Now, how about in the spiritual realm? Gideon now was known for being Jeroboam as someone who was willing to take a stand against a false god. So I want to bring you back to the beginning of this story to show you how this happened because there are illustrations in it for us today. In the first verse of Genesis 6, uh, Judges 6, sorry, chapter 1, it describes the scene. If you're familiar with the book of Judges, this whole thing is a time of history and the Israelites were, they were faithful for a time and then they would fall into unfaithfulness. And in their unfaithfulness, another country or another group of people, another clan would come over. And in this case, it was the Midianites who came over and they would oppress them. Notice what it says in verse 1. they have it up here? Would you re- Let's read this together since it's here. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years He gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now, that phrase, God gave them over, sticks out to me. It creates a, quite a bit of curiosity for me because it's interesting that I know God gives, but He gives them over. And what this means is they were under the power of the Midianites. In other words, they were at their mercy. The Midianites, it says, were so much in number what they would do is come during harvest time and basically rape them of all their stuff. Take their livestock, take their harvest, and they would plunder them. And it was, this, it was all the Israelites were powerless because God had given them over to them. And the Israelites were unable to defend themselves. They suffered at the expense of someone more powerful. Now, if you're an Israelite, this would seem wrong because God is the God who brought them out of Egypt, right? I mean, he did some great miracles through them. So he ought to be able to defend them from everyone, and he can't. But in this case, because of their sin, he gives them over to another people who will plunder them. 
Does God do that today? This is a spiritual law, as certain as gravity. As certain as if you drop any object from a height, it will fall to the earth. What we see in play here is the law of sin, which is as real, though maybe more imperceptible, than than gravity. It's as real. That is, when you give yourself to sin, you become the slave of it. Romans 6 says that very thing. In Romans chapter 1, three times the first chapter says God gave them over to uh, the lust of their flesh. God gave them over to a depraved mind, to the futility of their thinking. And in the same case, that phrase is as if you're surrendered to someone who is greater than you who will have their way with you. The Scripture says that any time you sin, you become a slave to sin. That is, you are surrendered to someone who is more powerful than you. You can't find yourself with the ability to say no, and it has its way with you to run your life. It's true, whether you're a believer or not. These are God's people, the Israelites. And God gave them over to these other Midianites. Now, the text is very illustrative because... It speaks of how they would come in, and here the Israelites would do all this hard work. The Midianites would come in and take all their plunder, and they'd be empty. You know what that sounds like a lot to me? A man who is addicted to alcohol or gambling. They may work, but they drink away all their profits, and they're left with nothing, and they're destitute. It's the same picture. Or it's like a a woman who earns her money and goes shopping and buys things more than they can afford and spends her future on stuff and accumulates and gets themselves in debt so that they have nothing. The wages of sin brings you to a place where you are a slave and you're indebted. And God went, it's a frightening thing to me that God would give you over to that. As if to say, you want this? Okay, I give you, I give you into this. It's a frightening thing, but I believe that's exactly what's going on in our country today. That God has given us over to our own wisdom. And in Romans uh, chapter 1 it says, we think we're wise, but we're fools. And so many of our laws, from our choices that we're making from entertainment to politics to academics... economics on every realm. We think we're so smart and we're being stupid. And we don't know it because we're given over to that because of our pride, because of our selfishness, our absorption with who we are. Yes, this is a law that's in play today when God gives over to the power of someone else by our own, because of our own choices when we pursue things that are not what he wants. We're given over. So that's the condition of the, of the land then. It's also, I think, the condition of the land today. And in this cycle of Israel's history, they would have a time when they would get into this depression, oppression, and eventually they would cry out to God. This one, in, in this case, it lasted seven years. And then uh, God would raise up a deliverer, and that's who Gideon is. If we read down now to verse 11, we see that God is on the move, and He initiates deliverance. It's a great thing about God. 
No matter how bad our country may be, God initiates deliverance through His people. He does. For His namesake, He'll call out people to stand for His namesake. He's doing it today, too. So here's what happened in the story of Gideon. Verse 11 says, The angel of the Lord came and sat under the yoke that was in Oprah. Not the show. It's a place. And it, it belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The picture is that Gideon's in the winepress threshing wheat. And so many pastors or preachers have come to this point and said, Gideon's a scaredy cat. He's hiding down in the winepress, which is in the cool, under the earth probably in a lower place, and he's threshing out the wheat. He's not afraid. He's smart. He's being wise. If the Midianites are those who come and, come and ravage your land, you're not going to thresh the wheat out. Hey, I'm here. Come and get it. Hey, come and get it. You're not going to be stupid. Well, maybe you will. The proverb says that a wise man sees trouble coming and hides himself. When you see evil, you, you, as a Christian, you don't dance with it. You remove yourself from it. That's the call. And when you compromise, as many of us do, we find ourselves in trouble and tarnished and with less glory than God intended for our lives. Gideon is in, in the wine press, and it's interesting to me, just as an aside, wheat and wine, bread and wine. Communion? Interesting that the bread is made from wheat that has to be crushed. The wine is made from grapes that have to be crushed. The life of Christ had to be crushed to bring us deliverance. And there he is with those elements, just as an aside. And the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Hail, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. That is a great truth. If anything could be said of me, that's what I want. The Lord is with you. His nearness is my good. When God is far from us, we're in trouble. And sin separates you from God. But God's nearness is our good. When we are close with Him, and He is close with us, it's for our good. And, and the uh, angel of the Lord says to you, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And Gideon says to him, here it is. I think we have this text. Can we read what he says? But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all His wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. Let's just stop there. What would you say his tone is? What's his tone in that expression? If God is with us, how come this is all happening to us? Right? Can you hear that tone? How would you describe that tone? What is that? Angry? Sarcastic? What else? Exasperation. Great word. Almost as good as slew. There's a, a bevy of illustrations, really. <laughs> uh, so here's his tone. 
right? If God were with us, this wouldn't, wouldn't be happening. Where are all the miracles that come with God? And it sounds like um, some, some kind of fed up or just, you know, doesn't it sound like that? Like a discontent. If this is how it is, it, what's, it, something's wrong with this picture. It's, is, can there be a godly discontent? I believe so. And I believe he's demonstrating it. And what strikes me is the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? In the American Standard, it says, go in this your strength. Now, what strikes me that the angel of the Lord says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon says, God is with me? If God is with me, this with us, he says, this wouldn't be happening. And the angel says, go in this your strength. I believe his response is a strength for us to have in our culture. And what is it? First of all, Gideon, Jerubbaal, is looking at our culture, at the culture, and saying, the way things are, it doesn't look like God is with us. He's honest about what he sees. And I think if we were to look at our culture, and we, it doesn't seem like God is with us in terms of the direction we're going. And some of the things that we value as a culture. It's really as if God has let his hands off us. We say, let's take God out of public life. But what if God said, you know what? You guys are so going the wrong way. Just let me take me out of this. I don't want to be part of this. I don't want to be part of where you're going. Interesting thought. God is not uh, forced into do anything. He's, he's on the throne. Regardless, this strength of Gideon is, he looks, real, at re, he looks with a real perspective at the culture and says things aren't the way they should be. But he has underneath this, and I hope you can see it, a very strong faith in a God who's powerful, in a God who intervenes, because if God is with me, he says, then these things wouldn't happen. He believes that the very presence of God in his life would cause enough to change what happens around him. <laughs> Do you believe that? If God was with you in this culture, there would be enough power in you to change things around you. you believe that? Maybe you don't. Here, this is the strength of Gideon. That he believes that if God was with him, really with him, then things would be different. He believes that if God was with him, there would be miracles. There would be answers to prayer. And if God is with us, things wouldn't be like they are. And I say that about the church. The Lord is with you. Is he? Is he with us? We, we're so pursuing petty things. We're so caught up in... We, what's the difference? We, we live like everybody else around us, is, except when we go to church on Sunday. What's the difference? If God is with us, where's the difference in the church? Jesus said in John 17 that I have given them glory. The church. Just like you've given to me. He's given us the opportunity for the Father to dwell in us just like He was with the Father. All the works that Jesus did, He did because the Father was in Him. 
He wants to prepare a place for us so that the Father could be in us, in His house. He's living in us, just like He was in Christ. So much so that Jesus said, the very works that I do, you will do also because I go to the Father. Where are the miracles? If God is in me, doesn't His life flow through me? Wouldn't that make a difference? God is with you, O mighty warrior. Well, if God, if you're with the church, it wouldn't be like this. Your life would be flowing through us. We would see the effect of your life on people around us. Your love would be flowing through me when I don't feel like loving. I would be forgiving people because you taught me to. And I would be turning away from sin because I hate it. It's what you died for. Why would I pursue things that brought you to the cross? If you were with me, it wouldn't be like this. This is the strength that Gideon has. That perhaps we have lost as followers of Christ. If God is with me, it's what I need. It's all I need if He is with me. And this is what the Lord promises. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And my version says, am I not with you? What did Jesus say to you and me? I will never leave you or forsake you. He is with us. Don't you know that the Holy Spirit lives in you? That you are the temple of God? The Holy Spirit, the same one who breathes, the same one who was there in creation, He lives in you. Isn't there power in the Holy Spirit? Isn't there power in your life? If God is with us, it wouldn't be like this. And He is with us. He's said that. So now it's a matter of opening our eyes to see what is real and that Christ actually does live in us and that we who are caught in this flow of of cultural demise are called to something better. You weren't called to be stuck in pornography. You weren't called to be stuck in lust. You weren't called to be a materialistic person. You weren't called to be petty hold grudges. You weren't called to speak evil against someone else. You're not called for that. You're called for something so much higher. You're called to love. You're called to live for Christ. You're you're called to live His life. That's your calling. Make a name for yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so Gideon does this. I believe this is his strength. And if you know the story, he is full of insecurity. The next thing he says, you know what? I can't do that. Who am I? I'm just the youngest. I'm the kid. I can't do this. And that's what we all like to say. I can't do this. I can't make it. God says, I can do things through you. I can't do that. I'm just nobody. I got this weakness. I got that weakness. What do you want me to do? We all say it. We all think we have nothing. We disqualify ourselves when God is saying, you can do this. If God is with you, your weaknesses become His strength. Didn't you know that? If God is with you, if His power is in you, your cracks, your weaknesses become the place where He is most glorified. Gideon might have gone up at night, but you know what? That's where it begins. He takes a stand himself. And it begins that way with you too to take a stand in your personal life against the false gods, the things that 
you adulate and pursue and, and want that everybody else around you is doing, just because everyone's doing it doesn't make it right. It takes a personal stand. Deliverance for the nation starts with God's people doing the right thing, taking a stand in themselves. This is not a call to go out and publicly make some big stand about whatever. And all, that, all those demonstrations to me smack of a self-righteousness. I can't judge anyone who makes that stand. But I love the fact that Gideon does this at night in the privacy of his own light. He does what's right. He, he takes down the altar for the, for the people. And in your own life, too, that's what our call is to take down the altars of false God and to live for Christ and Christ alone. Christian, this is the time to be glorious, the church that is beautiful, full of the Holy Spirit, full of love and life. We are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. His Holy Spirit lives in us. His love and His life flow through the church. We are meant to be the glory of God in this world to reflect the beauty of Jesus. It's not about us. It's about Him in us. And the Lord is with you. He is in you. Believe. Have faith as Gideon did. If God is with me, this wouldn't be happening. And sure enough, because God said, I am with you, he followed God. And he was very insecure. He asked God for this sign. He got it. He asked God, don't be mad at me, but uh, could you do this one again? And God did it for him. And then he ended up delivering people. And so he was known as Jerubbaal. What will be your name? What will be your name before God? You know, Bruce, the faithful. You know, Gary, the forgiver. You know, Christine, the kind. What will your reputation be as a follower of Jesus Christ? And how will you be known in heaven as one who has been filled of the Holy Spirit? Marianne, the prayer, pursuer of secret things. What is your name before God? How are you known? It's worth being known. Hey, this, this world is very temporal. You could seek 15 minutes. But look at this. Here we are, millennia later, reading about a man who took a stand for God, and we know his name today. And his name is known in heaven. And that day he was known as one who would contend with Baal. Don't be one who compromises with the world. You know, the Scripture says you can't be a friend of God and love the world either. It's really time to, to come clean. And that's exactly how it happened. This was the beginning of change for the whole nation of Israel at this time. So don't despise what you one person can do. Will you? Will you, your name be associated with what is right and true? Will your name be associated with Christ? Will your name be written? I believe that the Scripture is complete. But I believe that in the annals of heaven, there are stories being written about what people do now on earth in response to faith in Jesus Christ. And one day when we get there, whether they're read or whether they're told, 
the exploits of the children of God will be declared of here's what God did through a person who had faith in him. Here's what glory came from a, a, a woman who was obedient to Christ. Here's the story of a man who said yes to, to the kingdom of God and walked with him. Those stories are all over heaven. I want my name to be in one of them. Make a name for yourself. We're going to close this scripture with a song by Robin Mark when it's all been said and done. The words will be on the screen. I want to invite you to just listen and pray. Begin to talk with God about what you've heard today. And maybe there are areas of compromise that you've let in. Maybe there are things that God has already shown you that you're a slave to. You can be free. You were meant to be free from sin by the power of Christ. Maybe there's a calling that you have on your life that God is raising you up to follow so that your name could be associated with something eternal in the realms of heaven. At least maybe you want to get your name in the book of life so that God knows you when he sees you. Name, oh yes, I know you. You definitely want that. But during this song, I'll let you uh, give you a chance to reflect and uh, think about those things.